With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, for the first time in a while, the title is back in City's own hands. With their outstanding games to play, City officially don't need any help from any other teams to finish top of the pile. Though despite being eternal optimists here at the Blue Moon Podcast, even we concede that a run of 24 consecutive wins is probably unlikely. What doesn't help matters further with that is fixture congestion, and that's a problem City are definitely going to face as the season goes on, even more so after the game with Everton on Monday night was postponed. An outbreak of Covid cases at the CFA among both players and and staff has left City in an even tougher position. Above all else, though, we need to remember that people's health and well-being is more important than getting matches completed. So that might make this a little bit of a strange final show to 2020, but we'll do our best to inject a bit of normality into proceedings. I'm David Mooney, and today I'm joined by City fan Kieran Murray. How are you, Blue? And freelance football writer Nico Morales. How you doing? Uh, I'm not too bad, thanks. Uh, so, yes, uh, COVID, that's uh, that's the place where we're going to have to start on all of this. Um, first off, Nico, what, what was your reaction to the game being called off on Monday night? Uh, you know, I've had some maybe not popular opinions about the resumption of the, the footballing world as a whole. Um, I thought maybe it was a bit too early to begin with. Um, so it doesn't exactly surprise me. It, it's disappointing, I think, because on a number of levels, obviously, because... You know, we've already started allowing fans back into stadiums and, you know, the, the, the prevalence of the virus isn't, isn't gone by any stretch of the imagination, even with the rollouts of the vaccine happening. So it's a bag of mixed emotions because on the one hand, like I said, I don't I didn't really agree with football beginning again to begin with. Um, and also, I think what a lot of people don't take into account is even if you aren't immediately threatened by the virus or you don't feel the symptoms or whatever the case is, we've seen in a number of cases that people who contract it have, uh, you know, adverse side effects as the months go on. And maybe Gabriel Jesus, you know, cross your fingers, hope not, but maybe a Gabriel Jesus or Kyle Walker have to deal with this for the rest of their lives. And that would be, you know, one of the worst case scenarios aside from the fact that, you know, we don't want football and football continuing and maybe spreading to the fans or other members of the staff. So it, it's a complicated and, and somber issue, I think. Yeah, Kieran, um, uh, you're, you're, you're actually Merseyside Way, uh, where, where you're based. Um, yeah. What, uh, what has been the reaction there? Um, it's a funny one. Uh, my mates, my blue mates on uh, Merseyside, we're fired up for the game and we're kind of ready for it. Um, they feel a little bit hard done to in that it feels almost like elitist that City were able to kind of get away with not having to play it. Um, whereas, you know, maybe it's just because they're a big six club, they were, you know, given a buy ball, that sort of, um, it's sort of kind of sticking in people's crawl a little bit that way. Um, Liverpool's in here too. And most of the country is either in tier three or tier four. So I, I think normality is kind of existing a little bit on Merseyside. So to have a game pulled when they, you know, their fans were kind of ready to go. There was two thousand people kind of fired up for the game. Um, it's it's a bit sad to them that the game was pulled at at, at such short notice. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that, that's the thing I was going to ask. That the case seems to have been made. Well, if City knew which players are positive, then what, couldn't they have just played without them, sort of thing? Well, yeah, but from what we can pick up, the City's bubble has been has been breached, um, so it's, it's not a case of like City just play on because we did against Newcastle without Jesus and without uh, Walker, so presumably, I mean, we don't know. We're hearing word that maybe three three more players have picked it up um, but we don't know how many staff we don't know how many kind of um, reserve players or younger players or you know people at the CFA um, so it feels as if the bubble has actually been hit badly and um, you know 
the thing that's kind of getting to me a lot about it is that I think the country, picking up on kind of what Nico's just said, I think we've sort of been made to feel that life has resumed and that everything has, you know, returned to a little bit of normality again, just because there there aren't daily briefings. And, you know, like in in June, July and August, the pubs were opening again and we had to help out and everything. You know, there was sort of a push towards let's just act like this is all normal yeah. again. Whereas if we were thinking back with our March, April, May kind of heads on, we would remember that it's a really scary, deadly disease and we're in the middle of a, of a global pandemic, you know? So re- real life actually doesn't exist at the minute. We have to be aware of uh, things chopping and changing and, you know, plans can change on a whim. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing, Nico, is that you, you look at... Like Kieran said there, you know, we knew about Kyle Walker, we knew about Gabriel Jesus. Even the short amount of time between that Newcastle game and the Everton game, there's not space in that in that turnaround. To once you have a couple of positive tests, to then test everybody again, is there? And that, I mean, that ultimately is why they couldn't put out any a, a team of players that they knew were negative because they didn't know who was negative. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing with the testing is that we're not really, we're still really not there yet. And I think Karen makes makes a good point there about normalcy and whatnot is that, you know, PCR tests and, and the variety of other um, tests that you can get that confirm negative or positive are still not 100%. We really don't know the, the complexity of it and how widespread it is and, and all these things. So yeah, I think you're right. You know, they, they couldn't at least, you know, sort of responsibly subject the entirety of the Everton squad. And I think what often goes under discussed and, and under evaluated is like, it's not just, you know, two sets of footballers. It's the coaches, the coaching staff, the people that help the team with the kits and the waters and everything else. And all the people that help that literally make the club, cl- uh, the club run, you know, they, they're putting their, their own health and safety at risk when they're, you know, when they have the ability to be exposed to the virus. And in this case, we do know that the virus is present in two of the players or even more. So that's that's kind of the thing is that this is a responsible move. And it's something that maybe could have been avoided, but it's a good thing to have called it off because you 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 eliminate the risk of other people getting it now. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, isn't it, Nico? You, you can't, ultimately, Everton might be as pissed off as they want at the decision. Um, first off, it was the Premier League's decision. They they say they were acting on, uh, what I think, what was the phrase? It was strong medical advice that I think was the phrase they, they used. Right, yeah. Um, and, and ultimately, it's like, when you consider everything, there is no other decision that, could, that you could come to. Can you imagine the shitstorm that would be kicked up if... You know, City went there, played the game because the Premier League had told them to, and then there's an outbreak at, at Goodison Park. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's kind of the difficulty is that you know we we look back to when the outbreak was was beginning in in the Premier League, and that that ring of games or that round of games in in what was it you know March or whatever was going to go on, and then Mikel Arteta contracted the virus, and that was sort of a high profile public case. And it's like if we only act on like this immediate information that we have and you know in many cases depending on the profile of the person who gets it then we're going to be a step behind so i think this is this was the right decision and as you said the the strong medical advice from the premier league to to not go ahead with it so it may annoy some people and i understand that and there are logical realities here you know the premier league is a massive producer for people's jobs and even something like this you know people create content as a as a as a as a result of the premier league going on um, but that doesn't mean you, you should put somebody's life at, at risk for, for that thing. Listen, mate, I don't need the Premier League to go on to make content about City. Trust me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, let's, let's have a... Kieran, have a, have a listen to this. This is uh, Everton's statement that they released on uh, on Monday night. Um, Everton Football Club regret the postponement of tonight's match against Manchester City, not only for the 2,000 fans who would have been attending, but for supporters on Merseyside and across the world. Our players were prepared for the game, as were both the team staff and everyone at Goodison. Match day is the most important date in our calendar, and this was a big one. While Everton will always have public safety uppermost, we will be requesting full disclosure of all information that Manchester City provided to the Premier League so the club can be clear on why this decision was taken. Um, there's uh, First things first, Kieran, there's, there's, it feels like there's something missing from that and that, that goes along the lines of Everton Football Club wishes everybody affected all the best in their recovery. <laughs> yeah, um, and speaking to my Evertonian mates, they were a bit embarrassed by that um, earlier on. You know, they they felt that 
there was a little bit of class missing. It feels to me that a sort of died in the world Evertonian has written that in the heat of the moment and, you know, from a footballing perspective and completely disregarded the humanity side. And, um, you know, even the dramatic pause, match day is the most important date in our calendar. And this was a big one. You know, it feels like Everton were thinking that they could draw equal in points with, um, with Liverpool if they had a beaten us. They're in good form. They wanted the momentum to be keeping going. Uh, they may be looking at City going, you know, they're beatable. I think they've kind of thought about this as it being a big match. Plus the fact that 2,000 people could go to the game and their fans would have been roared up for it. And it, it all feels that it was written in the heat of the moment up from a disappointed person who wanted the match to go ahead instead of maybe somebody like upstairs who was a bit more officious who who could have a professional approach to it who maybe would have you know sought in a more rounded uh long-term kind of bigger picture idea if that makes sense yeah but it's a bit accusatory in tone as well and um, we, we will be requesting full disclosure of all the information there is an implication there that city have tried to shirk out of the game um, or like pull the wool a little bit on the Premier League um, and you know that they're, that they're guilty of something. If they want full disclosure, then Everton seem to think that City have done something wrong. Um, but as I say, talking to the lads today, my Evertonian mates, what they're really pissed off about is it feels a little bit elitist, you know, that I think even Sheffield United had to, had to play earlier on this evening, um, even though there's, you know, there's cases of them and, then, I mean, people were losing their minds online last night. But, you know, like Leighton Orient kind of taught them going to buy in the, in, the, in the League Cup. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so people were attaching all these sort of different stipulations and caveats and, you know, past kind of instances and were attaching it to City and making out that City were kind of like outliers and had got one over on everybody because they're a big club. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, Nico? That uh, it, it is. It does feel like there is uh, almost foul play at work here. That that, that Everton suspects that 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 City are trying to pull a fast one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the the you know they're poking at the social more, which is City have done the the right thing as far as a uh, medical advice goes and. They are looking to gain a competitive advantage through the nicety that is, you know, strong medical advice. The Premier League doesn't want to be culpable for telling a team not to play. They don't want City will take that, you know, for what it is. And 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 they still want sort of the competitive advantage that they seek, which is to play right now when they think, you know, we're at, at our most beatable, which, you know, it's a, it's a shitty, difficult situation, I think. Yeah, uh, Kieran. The the thing is, I almost feel like I want City to just call Everton's bluff on this and go. You know what? You know what? If you want the points that badly, we're we're more interested in making sure everybody's safe. But you know, if you want the points that badly, you know, have them. We'll forfeit yeah. the game. Just take them. Yeah, and then Everton will say, "Well, thank you very much. We'll have them then." <laughs> um, like you wish there was a solution that would benefit everybody, but unfortunately, in these trying, unprecedented times, it's just not the case. Um, and if City do say we'll be the bigger people here and um, we'll forfeit the game because our players' safety and your players' and staff's safety is paramount to us. So have the three points in. If you really want them that badly, Everton will just go, thank you, fine. Because Everton seem to be, you know, so annoyed. I don't think, you know, I don't think they're particularly annoyed at City, but I think they're annoyed about the way it's been handled in the Premier League. And if they can have some sort of like recompensation for, you know, for feeling a bit messed about last night, um, three points would, would do fine. I don't really want that to happen because I want it to be a fair fight and I want City to have a stab at it. And, you know, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish, you know, wish 2020 had never happened really, but, um, <laughs> but because it is and these trying times, things will come up and things will pop up. And it just seems to be that, I kind of, I don't know if, about you lads, but I kind of always knew in my heart of hearts that when an issue was going to happen with COVID-19 in the Premier League, it was going to happen to City. <laughs> Call it City-itis. Um, but yeah, it's, it's happened in Newcastle first. It seemed to be that, you know, Aston Villa kind of shrugged and were like, okay, fine, we'll play again some other time. Um, but Everton seemed to be a bit more sore about it, perhaps because fans were allowed in, perhaps because they 
feel that you know they're they're fighting for a title and they would they would like to have gone joint top if that's a, if that's the case um and they had fans in last night so a lot of people were let down but i, I don't think if city offered them the three points i think they'll just take the three points and, and we don't really want that to happen do we yeah. Um, the, the thing is, though, now, Nico, the, the bigger picture for City is that this is another game that's now going to going to be have to be fitted in somewhere. Uh, we don't know. We're going to talk about, about Chelsea and United later. We don't know if they're going to go ahead. And if they don't, then they've got to be fit in somewhere in the in the schedule. Um, if City beat United in the League Cup, that'll, that'll mean that there's an, another game that needs rescheduling later down the line. It's almost madness to think that this season's actually going to be finished on time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's it's insane. And then you have to think, you know, also going back to the theme of thinking about the players, you know, as human beings, I think the rescheduled uh, international tournaments over the summer and all of those obligations, I mean, it's going to be, I don't know, it just seems like an impossibility. But I guess we're all beholden and subject to the multi-billion dollar TV contracts that are supposedly unbreakable. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the thing, I guess. I mean, I've not got my head around it but uh, fully. Um, I, and I think, and I'm going to stress absolutely think on this one uh, because uh, maths is not my strongest point. Uh, but I think that if City reach the final of every competition that they're in this season, uh, as it now stands, they'll play every weekend and midweek until the end of the season. That's if that the games against Chelsea and United can go ahead. Any more postponements and they'll have to do two games in a midweek. That has happened, I think, already this season to Tottenham. I think they played something like Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday um, and and kind of squashed four games into a week like that. the one thing I, I will say, Nico, is that it is if Everton were were a bit worried that that City wanted a bit more rest, or Liverpool uh, title rivals were worried that City wanted a bit more rest, there's certainly there's no sporting reasons for City to want this game off, is there? No, no, not at all. That's the thing is, um, you know, I, I, Jonathan Wilson wrote something this week about the effect that COVID nineteen has had on sort of the tactical diaspora on the on the league and and how teams play and like we've seen that that teams just aren't pressing as much and that's a I think largely because the tactic as a whole is is evolving and sort of COVID nineteen has catalyzed that but also because they just can't do it. it's not tenable like like you said if City get to the end of the most the majority of the competitions that they're in which isn't a, 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 an outlandish expectation for a team like city then you know they're going to be playing so many games late late into the season so it's just not tenable even if you have one of the biggest and most well rotated squads in the world it's just not you know it's it's not a reality so none of this really ma- makes sense as far as like getting a, a sporting advantage it's just it seems it doesn't seem very well thought out by the league or, or really anyone else. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this. This is from uh, Steve Bruce after the Boxing Day game with Newcastle. Uh, and he's talking about the effects of COVID on Newcastle's squad when they had 10 players and staff test positive earlier in December. Uh, this is what he said. We've had huge problems in terms of sickness and illness. And um, I'm no scientist on these things, but, you know, I've seen Man City have got Two today. I hope. I hope for their sake that you know they don't go into double figures and things like that with the playing staff anyway, because we're witnessing the after effects still. I'm still we've got problems with it. So you know it's it doesn't just come and go over you. It's been a big factor and certainly over the last couple of weeks. And that's for sure. Freddie's been affected by it. Then so has Fab Shard has trained twice in five weeks. <laughs> involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. When you hear him speak like that, Kieran, Fabian Shah has, has also talked about feeling weak after having had the virus. Uh, Isaac Hayden has spoken about not being able to get out of bed for 10 days. Uh, even for, for City, Gundogan recently has been has been talking about having his limbs aching after, you know, even after making his recovery, getting back into training, playing games, he feels his legs and arms aching. Um, it, we're all guilty of thinking that, you know, sometimes a player catches COVID and then they're out for a fortnight and it's two weeks out in the back and that'll be, as soon as they're back, they'll be back firing again. The truth is we don't actually know enough to 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 say that sort of thing. And we don't know enough about this virus to know what the long-term effects of, on, on players are going to be, do we? No, we really don't. Um, this virus is a lot more scary. It's, it's really strange, isn't it, to be living through this? Like... Breaking news came up on my phone earlier on that we've just today reached a you know a UK high of 
is it 51,000 people, you know, cases recorded today? There have been over 70,000 deaths. And it's a really, really scary thing to be existing within. And I think part of this is just like a lot of the kind of government, um, you know, stay alert and all that kind of changes in the summer when it went from, you know, um, stay at home to stay alert. And we were sort of encouraged to get back to work and get out there. Schools opened again. Football was on again. And they've done their best to kind of try and paint a picture of what real life is like again and normality. And it's anything but that. And this this virus is such a mystery now. And we kind of do shrug and go, oh, yeah, the, you know, they'll be back to work in no time. Or, you know, it's just like it's just like a little a cold or flu or whatever. And you get over it and you can get back and get back on the horse and you know life kind of goes once more but if those footballers who are you know fit as a fiddle if they're saying that they've got long-term health well long COVID they're talking about as a thing aren't they um if it's taking players ages to get over matches and proper fit men who are saying that they're exhausted and they're fatigued and they're aching after matches a lot more because they've had it it's it's sort of a bad idea for it to be happening at all. Football, isn't it? Um, when when this disease is so unknown and it's so mysterious and scary, uh, and it does kind of like put into perspective. Last night with this kind of snotty ish, um, statement from Everton, you know about this is a big one. We wanted this match to go ahead. People are let down by this. Do you know, like there are a lot there are a lot of people's lives and livelihoods at stake here if we're not careful and. The, the players are being like shunted about the country like circus animals, really, aren't they? Just sort of told to perform. Um, but, you know, like bubbles will have been meeting up and players, families and friends will have been mixing over over Christmas because that was sort of, you know, what the what the government like guidance was. You know, you can for a few days meet up over Christmas. I know it was changed very last minute, but, you know, like how many people, how many players have this in their homes now and how scary is it for them? We have to remember that they're people at the end of the day, don't we? Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, let's, let's actually, Nico, I, I was, I was excited to get you on to talk football and we've, you know, we've, we've got this far into the show and we've, we've not actually touched on anything to do with anything that's happened on the pitch. Um, let, let's kind of turn towards that Newcastle game now, because this postponement for City possibly comes at the wrong time in terms of football in displays, because I thought the, the game against Newcastle was one of City's best of the season. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, that must be taken with a grain of salt as far as, you know, we're up against Steve Bruce, I guess. But it, it, it nonetheless was uh, was an exceptional performance for me because it, it just kind of encapsulated everything that City have grown to do so well, right? Not to be overly tactically nerdy or anything but you know we were able to completely sort of surround their defensive formation shift it quite well and Raheem Sterling you know you can look at the first goal but there are a number of occasions where he makes the exact same move three or four times before the backsided run after the overload on the left hand side it's textbook stuff and it was it was really quite impressive from a tactical perspective so yeah I think you're right in terms of like the fixture um list and, and it coming at the, at a difficult time city city were in a moment against newcastle yeah it, it was a bit of the old city wasn't it that's the thing that you know get in behind get the ball squared and, and get somebody a chance that they just can't miss yeah exactly I, I think that the like i said the sort of formation or surrounding of the defensive formation as well as like the penetration of the runs i think you know one thing that i'm noticing more and more not that it's a uh, a, a cataclysmic or, or groundbreaking revelation, but the absence of David Silva and the team just really shines through when we have even sort of an establishment of of a of our offensive formation against the defensive shape. Um, but I, you know, I, I noticed you know Bernardo Silva. I think is is coming back into some form, and De Bruyne when he's free flowing is 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 as good as he's ever been. So yeah, I think it it is it does harken back to the old city. I want to. I'd want to get your view on on Jao Cancelo as well, just because um, he's someone who it feels like he's really growing into this role in the team that he's got. It's, it's almost like a like like whatever side he plays on, left or right, he's given a little bit more freedom. Yeah, for sure. I think I was having a discussion with James York um, of Statsbomb the other week, and he was saying, you know, he thought it was sort of slightly concerning that Jao Cancelo was leading City, I think, in final uh, passes into the final third. And I think there's some legitimacy to that claim as far as like the extrapolation that you make from that is 
our city to our our city our city's other offensive weapons getting enough time on the ball or not producing as they uh, as they usually would in the final third. But equally, I think if you look at a performance specifically like Newcastle, you just understand that Jao Cancelo is an absolute weapon in the final third. I mean, the guy is because there are so many different distractions around him as far as offensive ca- capacities go or or capable players defensive formations tend to focus on guys like Raheem Sterling or Aguero or De Bruyne and they don't you know take into account that Jacuincelo a guy who can play left back right back or whatever who's technically you know sort of inverting into an attacking midfielder role is capable of those passes capable of you know dangerous passes into the final third and also whipping in a, a great cross into the back post or whatever so he yeah he's 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 molding into sort of that adaptable player that city need in the final third that isn't you know of a typical style of an attacking midfielder he's essentially a a bargain of a of a of a right back that can defend and also do things um in the attacking third more than we might expect of of even the modern fullback i think yeah kieran uh looking at uh, elsewhere in the midfield as well we we touched on him about long covid a few minutes ago but but ilkay gundawan is someone who I also think is in the last few weeks he's playing his way into into something of uh, uh, of some decent form. He he seems to be okay, not the perfect replacement for David Silva because that's that's almost impossible. But he seems to be able to to kind of see the same sort of things as Silva used to see. Does that make sense? It does make sense, and it's interesting actually that both yourself and Nico have kind of talk, touched upon David Silva and what an absence he's been this season, but. I'm seeing Ilkay Gundogan and I'm seeing him make little runs and it's weird that even the sort of gait of him and the the uh, when he pops up on screen, I'm seeing this, his movement and his, you know, you know how he's kind of turning in his head as the ball is coming to him and he's seeing the run, you know, before the run's there. Um, if you if you watch and follow Ilkay Gundogan for a little while on the pitch, um, he's doing all the right things and everything is reminiscent of that Silva. Um He's really playing himself. See, I always think that OK Gundogan has, you know, very rarely slipped below a sort of 7 out of 10 performance. There are times where he, he does go missing against some more physical teams, particularly away from home. I think because, of, you know, of his injury record, he can shirk a little bit and maybe he's a bit anonymous at times. But when the game is there for the taking in terms of wanting somebody to control it and dictate the way David Silva used to, I think we've got a really strong player. Um, and the fact that in two games now, in very recent times, um, Sterling's got in behind and Gundogan has been there in the box waiting for the pass. You know, we've got a nice little link up on our hands as well. And it's really nice to watch him. If you watch the replay of that and watch where he was when Sterling picked up the ball to then where he found himself, you know, without a Newcastle without a Newcastle defender even noticing his distance, he just ghosted past him and there he was, open for a tap-in base. Well, a tap-in through four players, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's really, really impressive. And I think I think he's always quietly been dead, dead impressive and I've always liked him. But because he's on the score sheet now and more people are noticing him, it's gaining in, you know, a confidence and it's sort of like, it's working both ways, you know, like he's, we're noticing him more and because he's gaining in that confidence and it's reflecting on his play, on his play and he's yeah he's playing himself into great form as you say yeah absolutely um let's let's touch nico on uh, ferran torres who uh, obviously scored city's second goal um he's he's settling into the team quite nicely as well is he the replacement for leroy sane that city needed that's a difficult question i think i i said this during the game as i watched him um but i think he has he has a lower ceiling potential wise. And obviously that is a very subjective scale that is, you know, individual. So feel free to disagree with me, whoever's listening, but <laughs> I think there's a lower ceiling than, than Sané because, you know, Sané is just an immense talent. The difficulty is that, or, or the advantage for city now is that Sané, if I remember correctly, was so flank dominant and, and by flank dominant, I mean, he was used well on the flank, but also preferred that wide area in terms of take-ons and when he could isolate fullbacks in that area. You know, he he didn't adapt super well across the front line. You know, he could either be wide left or wide right, and they've tried to play him sort of in that free eight sort of half space between, you know, because he often have some amalgamation of a front five. And they try to get him in those half spaces to get him to maybe be a bit more direct with his goal, goal contribution. But 
it didn't really work out for him in that way. So I think the the advantage with Ferran is that he is, I, I think, is comfortable in the flank, just as many quick, skillful, you know, crossy type players are. But as we saw against Newcastle, you know, his movement as a forward is not Gabriel Jesus or, or Sergio Aguero, but something that's proficient in that regard. And I think that's what Pep Guardiola desires out of any kind of forward. You know, you look at Bernardo, you look at Sterling, you look at Farron now. Those guys are able to shift across maybe three or four positions in that front five. And so when you have a player that's adaptable and willing to be adaptable in those contexts, you have a, a much better weapon than maybe a player that can only be good in a variety of situations and specific situations. So it's, for me, it, it's, it's a better fit for City as far as what they're trying to do tactically. We've said already, 2020 has been a tough year for many of us. Uh, for City, things largely haven't gone to plan on the pitch. Off the pitch, well, yeah, we all know how the year's been there as well. Uh, we've been asking you to get in touch with the moments of light in the dark and the best bits of 2020 that you've enjoyed the most. Here's what you've said. Tastes like strawberries on a summer evening And it sounds just like a song Hi, I'm uh, Barry Ternan from Dublin. My Manchester City highlight of 2020 was probably our performance against Real Madrid um, away in the Bernabeu. Opportunity here for Kevin De Bruyne, immediately surrounded by white shirts, into Jesus! Oh, he squeezed it in! What a big goal that is for Gabriel Jesus! It's an away goal in the Bernabeu for Manchester City! Just when I think most people thought Pep had overthought it, Again, with his lineup and his tactics, and it all came good. He he didn't overthink it. He he got it just about right. The referee's trying to get the players out of the penalty area before De Bruyne can take it, just to add to the tension. Up he steps and scores. The captain delivers in Madrid for Manchester City. It's Real Madrid one, Manchester City two. Second half performance, especially, and the way we controlled the game. Besides a 20-minute period when Real Madrid scored. Uh, besides that. I just thought we were absolutely brilliant. Our best performance of the year. Hi there, my name's Jules, I'm from Mosley. I think the most exciting game for me this year was the League Cup final. Rodri, going around the back, Aguero! It's found its way in, and he has done it again. Inside 20 minutes. It was a really, really good game. I thought, I thought that we controlled the first half, they controlled the second half, and that last 10 minutes was really, really uh, tense. The... Save was it from Bravo and about the 90th minute, something like that. My heart was in my mouth at that time. Hello, how you doing? My name is Kieran Murray. I'm from County Down. My highlight of 2020 was uh, the Carabao Cup run that we went on and ultimately winning a seventh League Cup. I just loved the fact that we got a day out in Wembley, lifting another piece of silverware it was brilliant. Seeing a Rodri winner, which I wish I'd uh, savoured a lot more, given the fact that it was the last live game that I got to see before coronavirus kicked in. And um, yeah, no, just um, winning another cup was great crack. Hi, Blooming Podcast. It's Richard Burns from Manchester. My highlight of the year uh, connected to City, but obviously a personal one. Um, my first and currently only uh, baby son was born in September. And that has given me an absolute raft of chances to uh, to start propagandising him into being a City fan. My name's Andy from Mansfield, and my highlights of the year, other than Merlin lifting the League Cup at Wembley in March, was listening to the Blue Moon podcast and Why Always Us podcast, which helped me in the year as I overcame both COVID and cancer successfully in both cases. So thank you guys for that and keep up the fantastic work. From ordering his first city baby grow, uh, <laughs> whilst my wife was in labor, to being able to watch my first game with him. He was born two weeks before the season started. So his first game was the, the game against Wolves to open this season. To have him sat on my knee, wrapped in a city scarf, just makes the game feel a little bit different. My name's Sean Blincorn. I'd like to offer the Youth Cup win as one of the highlights of City's 2020. It's a little lower down on the list of priorities at the moment, but it was good to get the name back on the trophy after four lost finals in the last decade and should be a big boost to what's a very 
promising group of youngsters this year. Raft can run at the Chelsea defence once more, slips in a lovely ball to Delap, and it might be turned in, and it is! Will that be the winner? Carl Palmer for Manchester City. I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy Night, Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Enjoy. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I'll look there at some of the better moments for City fans in uh, the year 2020. Now, Nico, uh, I hate to do this to you on your first ever Blue Moon Podcast. But I I, I surprise the guests sometimes. uh, And uh, I'm going to do that now. And Kieran knows exactly what's coming up because here it is. It's a quiz on Manchester City in 2020. Okay, so here's how it works. There's six questions. Uh, Pick a number, one to six. Get the question behind that number. And uh, the person with the most correct answers wins. So, Nico, as the the guest, uh, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first, yeah. Uh, Pick a number, one to six. Three. Uh, number three, uh, who was the first senior player City signed in 2020? Uh, Nathan Ake. No, it was uh, it was Ferran Torres. He signed the day before Nathan Ake. Oh, so I'm sorry yeah. about that. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Kieran, can you take the lead? Pick a number. Five. Number five, uh, who were the opposition when City became the first team to have a game postponed because of the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, Arsenal. It was Arsenal, 1-0. Nico, over to you. Two. Uh, Question two, uh, who were the opposition for City's final game of 2020 at the Etihad with a crowd? Gosh, that is tough, isn't it? I'm going to say West Ham. It was West Ham. There's the equaliser. Aaron, over to you. One. Question one. Okay, oh dear. Um, against which team did David Silva score his final City goal? Oh, what? Um, did David Silva turn into a free kick maestro when he came back? Um, Burnley. No. Bournemouth, it was. Oh, there we go. So, two questions left. The score is one all. Uh, Nico, you have uh, question four or question six. Which would you like? Four. Question four. Which player scored the winning goal for City in the League Cup final? Gundogan? No, it was Rodri. Rodri. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, Kieran, you can win it at the death. Question six. Oh. Roughly how many months did City spend banned from the Champions League before having UEFA's decision overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport? Uh, five. From February the 14th to July the 13th, it was five months. Yes. Kieran with a 2-1 win. And that's really annoyed me, actually, because uh, for once in my life, I actually wrote a tie-break question. (laughs) (laughs) What was it just for shits and giggles? Okay, uh, I'll let you both have a stab at it, but uh, here we go. How many competitive goals have City scored in all competitions since there was last a crowd in the Etihad? Oh. 50. 36. Ah, you're both both doing City down. It was 88. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's how many they've got, yeah. So, uh, I was Kieran... going to go 70s, but I thought that was way too high. No, 88, nearly 100. Kieran, you're, you're our winner. Well done. Thank you. Cheers. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. So, Kieran, the winner of our final uh, surprise quiz of 2020. There'll be more of them in uh, in, in weeks to come, I'm sure. Uh, but for now, we're going to look ahead at the games with Chelsea and Manchester United. And I say look ahead at the games because, uh, as it stands, while we're recording this, uh, the games are going ahead. But, Nico, we don't actually know if these games are going to go ahead. Uh, it, it's just kind of the situation we're in. And I, I almost feel like I did when we were previewing the what would have been the Burnley game uh, after the Arsenal postponement, it almost feels like we're about to head into a time when football is going to come under immense pressure to stop playing. Yeah, I, I think so as well. The, the difficulty is that, you know, on the one hand, I think that's maybe a good decision. On the other hand, it's 
we have, you know, the pandemic fatigue, as they call it, you know, people are sick of delaying things, people are sick of wearing masks, people are sick of doing, you know, things that are maybe more sensible for, uh, you know, to slow the spread, um, even as the the vaccines start to roll out. So I, I, I think, you know, I hope, my hope would be for clubs and leagues and everybody in charge to follow the correct and, and responsible medical advice. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird time once again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's let's assume for now, Kieran, that these games are going to go ahead. Um, Jack Gorn's story in the Mail today is that that City are, are ramping up testing from uh, or, or to four rounds in the next seven days. Uh, given that, and you know, obviously we we don't find out the results while we're recording of uh, uh, of the tests that City did on Tuesday. By the time everybody hears this on Wednesday, that the results might be out, and we might know the extent of of, of how uh, of how City are doing. Um, it's it, it feels like a real crunch moment for City. This, yeah, I think you said earlier on before we come come on air that it felt uh, it feels a little bit end of days again, um, and it does feel that. Do you know the mistakes that were made in kind of February March where like Cheltenham happened and when Atletico Madrid came to Anfield and these big events that went ahead with big crowds, and you know the decisions. It was kind of like a the show must go on, and then it felt like we acted a bit too late. It feels like we're at another crunch moment now where if action isn't taken, will we be looking at it with regret in a few weeks and months and going, those games, you know, those games should have been called off. Um, City are kind of of the opinion that maybe we've picked up um, this sort of latest bout of COVID in London when we played Arsenal last week. It feels a little bit like going back to the scene of the crime again. If we go to London against Chelsea, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like you feel in your gut and in your heart that maybe this should all just be pulled for a little while. The country is just, the country's going, it's all going mad again, isn't it? Do you know, and it's, it's frightening. Like my mum said last night, she was scared again. Um, and it feels as if we don't put, you know, we should sort of pull the plug and, you know, City can ramp up the test and, you know, for what, for what good that is. But um, it feels a little bit like it is crunch time. And if we don't make the right decisions, we could live to regret it. Yeah, it's it's probably the best time to, to go to Chelsea, though, at the moment, uh, uh, Nico, given their form. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, Frank Lampard's chickens, tactical chickens are coming home to roost, as it were, and, and people are starting to sort of be more wise to, to what he's willing to do, as well as the fact that, you know, there are other factors that are influencing those performances. But yeah, they, they really have not, you know, if, if Arsenal in their current form can beat you then and beat you handily, then it's probably not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how, how does it all, uh, how does City's situation tally with um, Guardiola's desire to pick players on form at the moment, given obviously players are missing with COVID, uh, the, the sheer frequency of games that City have got coming up, he's going to have to rotate. And yet he wants to, he, he was saying recently, he wants to pick players based on their form. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because the as simplistic as it is to say the, the players that make up the squad or dictate how City can play. You know, Kyle Walker, for example, is is someone that allows City to shift pretty seamlessly from a back four to a back three just without even making a substitution, just in a change of shape. Um, so it, it does kind of dictate what approach City can have. And obviously, as uh, you know, there's a podcast I was listening to a few years ago about how top teams like City or, or teams with a larger amalgamation of talent tend to adopt, adopt sort of a an approach that exists despite the opposition. So they have to be more focused on themselves tactically than, than whatever specificities specificities will arise from their opposition just because of the, the sheer uh, manner in which they play. And even though city do have that, they still have to account for some specificity as far as the opposition goes. So even, you know, even with that, the, the, if you have players missing from COVID, if you have to play Ferran Torres as brilliant as he was um, at striker for a number of games, you know, it's not ideal because it won't be in the way that, you know, is, is best for the team. So it is, it is difficult and it, it poses a, a, a roadblock for how successful the team can be in an already difficult period. Yeah. Now looking ahead to the League Cup game in the midweek, Kieran, um, 
Here's the good news. If City can't play this game, uh, they don't forfeit it. That was only up to round four in the in the competition of the EFL Cup. Uh, and that was uh, that was because of uh, the setup of the competition, the fact that at, at, at that stage in the season, there was just no time to reschedule games ahead, uh, uh, with how crammed the, the, the schedule was. From now on in, uh, from, from after the fourth round, effectively, uh, there's plenty of time in the calendar before the final to be able to get space to play it. So it's always been the case City haven't had any preferential treatment. There's nothing like no conspiracy going on whatsoever. It's been there from the start of this season. City will not forfeit this game if, if uh, it has to be postponed due to COVID. Um, all of that said, is it a little bit frustrating now that the semi-finals are now one-legged and City have been drawn away at Old Trafford? Um, sorry, I was just getting flashbacks there to Middlesbrough in the 1970. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it, it's a funny one, David, because it is frustrating and it's not fair, but it you kind of, at the moment, I feel just, and this sort of puts me about a little bit, and I'm not used to this because I don't like change, but you have to just be willing to kind of roll with the punches and th- things the way they are. Like, n- nothing is real anymore, you know? Like, everything everything that we know is changed and out the window and rules are coming along and, you know little hurdles are popping up here there and everywhere that you didn't expect so I mean it's a little bit frustrating that the um, Carabao because as City fans we love as many Carabao games as we can possibly get Um, (laughs) and you know over over two legs it's always been nice however if you look at last season against United we won the first leg and then we're, we're pretty poor in the second leg against United. So if it takes us to get the job done in one match against them uh, and the shackles are off, if, if you know, if there's a repeat of the sort of setup as we, that we saw against um, against Arsenal last week in the quarterfinal, then, you know, maybe maybe it'll work out OK that it's, a, that it's a single leg one. We just have to roll with the punches this year because nothing is as it can be expected and plans are changing left, right and centre really, aren't they? Yeah, Nico, um, has, uh, can Guardiola learn anything from that recent nil-nil draw at Old Trafford? Yeah, I think so. Um, as bad as United are, and let it let the record show, I, I do think they're quite bad. Um, you know, they they do have some threats on the counterattack, and and that is something to be wary of. I think that's something that he accounted for in that nil-nil, um, but maybe a bit too heavily. So that's that's kind of the difficulty with City is that as as good as we are at creating our own chances, it's. I think in this specific period, it's about finishing them. Um, so being a li- little bit more advantageous with those uh, with those risks and offensively, at least, I think is something that is is necessary in this period, especially against a team like United, that you can really influence the game state with a couple of early goals. Yeah. Now, uh, charity bet time. We had a winner on the Newcastle game. So uh, congratulations to Howard Hawking. His correct 2-0 prediction has taken the total up to £285 for the Christie, a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester. Each of the panel gets a £10 correct score single on City's games from William Hill, assuming that the next two games do go ahead. Uh, Let's get some predictions on the board. Uh, Nico, what are you having for the Chelsea game? The Chelsea game, I think, will be 2-1 for City. Uh, that's 17 to 2 and 85 pounds if you're right. And while we're at it, let's have a United prediction as well. I think this one could be a very contentious 2 2 draw. A 2 2 is uh, 12 to 1 and 120 pounds. Uh, Kieran, uh, Chelsea away, what are you having? 2 0 to City. Uh, that is 11 to 1 and 110 pounds if you're right. And then United. 3 1 to City. Uh, a repeat of uh, last year's uh, leg at Old Trafford is yeah, uh, 12 to 1. Yeah, £120 if you're right as well. Uh, I've gone for 1-0 at Chelsea, which is 9-1 and £90, and then 1-0 at Old Trafford, which is 7-1 and £70. Got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now it's time to check in for the final time this year with Howard Hocking. He's looking back on the last 12 months for City. It's the time of the year to look back, reassess and discuss some weighty themes about morality, what this year has shown us about mortality, how society adapts to this brave new world and learns from its mistakes, and perhaps most importantly of all, whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. 
Still, before the world turned to dust, there was some football, and there was a spanking of United. And hard as it may be to believe, as it seems so long ago, there was a trophy. And as so many of my friends reported being ill afterwards, we can consider the Carabao Cup final one of the first super spreader events. We just didn't know it at the time. That game was quite fitting for City in 2020 in a way. City won but managed to make it as difficult and underwhelming as possible after starting well. Anyway, however many disappointments this year has brought to us all, it did begin with that spanking of United and 45 minutes of the greatest derby superiority I can recall. OK, injury time at Old Trafford in 2011 might just pip it, to be fair. Little did I realise at half-time of the first leg that City would not score again across the two legs. Letting United off the hook has become something of a theme. Actually, that was late January. Before that came a 6-1 win at Aston Villa, a game I'm sure doesn't really exist. But apparently it did happen and Sergio Aguero got his 12th Premier League hat-trick. A reminder that this year City have put in performances like of old, just not as many of them. Naturally, after the Villa thrashing, City would go on to fail to beat Crystal Palace at home. Of course, the league was gone by now, so City was simply treading water along with many others. But before everything fell to pieces, there was time for one of the club's biggest results in recent years, an excellent 2-1 win at Real Madrid. Unfortunately, there would be something of a wait for the second leg. As the global news got grimmer and grimmer, Mikel Arteta tested positive for Covid, and little did he know that his year was actually going to get worse from that point. His positive test might have been quite the lifesaver. It was the wake-up call to postpone football matches, which undoubtedly prevented the virus spreading to an even greater extent. And so into lockdown we went, sport ended and we had to find our own entertainment, namely the thrills of Zoom quizzes and morning drinking. It was like a European away trip without the travel or police brutality. And no football, obviously, but if you remember the match on a European away, you're not doing it right. The second that lockdown began, plans were discussed to bring football back. Overly optimistic plans at that. There was talk so ridiculous that when I released a mock article of plans to play games on an oil rig in the North Sea and on the moon, some people actually believed it. But that's Twitter for you. Actual plans mooted included isolation camps in China, but eventually the return would see teams simply play out the season in empty stadia. Yep, eventually it would return three months after it ended, in the form of Project Restart. City were the second game to be rolled out in this brave new Premier League world, as the much-delayed match against Arsenal was finally completed with a 3-0 victory, helped by David Luiz's sideshow Bob routine once more. It was sport without a soul, but it was probably better than having nothing on my TV screen, and of course there were commercial interests that need to be fulfilled. Money talked once more, and much as I hate much of its fan-base and cult-like activities, it was a shame that Liverpool's big moment was sullied. I know a lot of you won't agree with that. It is perhaps fitting, however, that City's greatest moment of 2020 did not come on the pitch. Instead, it came in a court of sorts. Not the sort with wigs and gavels, not that they exist, but at Cass. To be fair, this could be the highlight of most years of City's history, as the ramifications of the decision are massive, bigger than City's old floodlights, in fact. A two-year European ban would have been devastating for the club, and would surely have meant the future of many of the club's best players would be put immediately into doubt. Thankfully, City always maintained they had done nothing wrong, and apart from a lack of cooperation, Cass generally agreed. But whilst this was the best day of the year for City, it was the worst for many in the media, and millions of rival fans. For on that fateful Monday morning, many will have woken up feeling like a kid on Christmas Day. Santa was going to bring them the greatest present of all. New money, arrow-boned City being put firmly in their place. As the appeal process took place, many journalists remained steadfast in their belief in City's guilt. They did not expect UEFA's ban to be overturned, so you can imagine their shock when it was. Their faces must have dropped quicker than Mo Salah when a pigeon flies within 100 metres of him. Yes, 2020 was a difficult year for Fleet Street's moral crusaders, as demonstrated by the pandemic. As the Manchester clubs were doing their bit, and generally doing a great bit at that, including City offering the ground for medical use. Spurs and Liverpool were full-owned staff, though even that disgraceful action paled into insignificance compared to Arsenal sacking Gunnosaurus. What a year. With Project Restart, the season was completed, though City's 4-0 fashion of Liverpool will be lost to the annals of history. More importantly was the Champions League and Pep doing what he often does, blinking at the key moment. City finished the job with Real Madrid, but with the draw opening up, Pep messed up tactically once more and City contrived to lose to an underwhelming Leon side. 
It was one of the most damning results in recent years for City, and I have little doubt Pep lost the trust of many a player that night, at least for a while. Perhaps he's still regaining it as I speak. It isn't Pep's or the players' fault, though. Without my matchday superstitions, City floundered. With me not going to matches, the team never stood a chance. Sat watching at home, there was little point me putting on my lucky shoes or socks. No entrance through the far left turnstile, no climbing the three levels of steps two at a time. Anyway, away from City, just as 2020 was the worst possible time to have the bumbling oaf that is Boris Johnson, supposedly running the country. 2020 was also the worst time for VAR to further strip away our love for the game, at a time when empty stadiums meant we were well on the way anyway. It was just another way to extract emotion from the game, most aptly illustrated when Scotland keeper David Marshall saved a crucial penalty to take his country to the Euro finals, but delayed celebrating until the referee confirmed that he hadn't stepped off his line. The love will return, the crowds too, but perhaps if this year has told us anything, apart from how many cranks walk amongst us, it is that we realised football wasn't everything. There was another world to worry about, and some may never regain that love. Back at City, Pep signed a new contract to the general satisfaction of almost all City fans. There was no fireworks celebrations or calls to assemble in town, not that we were allowed to anyway, as there was a feeling that Pep must prove himself all over again, build a new team that conquers all. It would not be easy when his forward players come out in a nasty rash if they even think about shooting at goal. I mean, the Leon defeat still stings, but shipping five at home to Leicester hardly helped matters either. It was also the year, with racial tensions in America and elsewhere, that politics and football were as entwined as ever. Some struggled to accept this relationship whilst demanding poppies on football shirts. In amongst the most surprising developments, who knew that Millwall fans were so politically savvy after booing players taking the knee? For now, there is also that strange situation that the knee was taken in an era of closed stadia, and now that fans begin to trickle back into grounds, well they were, we are seeing the reaction, and also a confusion with many no doubt who are unsure what they're supposed to do during these few seconds of action. And so to 2021, and hope. Football fans live off hope and expectation, but now they will be joined by the rest of the planet. Hope that 2021 brings better times and some return to normality. That's all I want. Normality. To sit and stand at a match with my long-lost friends. To tut as a succession of people need to get past me to go to the bar or due to weak bladders. Swearing as a shot flies over the bar from Rodri again. The annoyance at the half-time bar queues. Being the only person left on your row after 85 minutes. The joy of a goal post-VAR check. The relief of a full-time whistle in a closely won match. And the hugs with friends at holding on. The smiles and on to the next game. A post-match pint or four at the track brewery, the midweek night time tram back home from the ground, a journey that somehow becomes longer every time I step on that tram. Whatever the result, on a school night, you just want to get home. This is what 2021 will hopefully have in store at some point. I won't take it all for granted in future, I hope, because sometimes you only realise what you have once it is gone. All I do know for sure is that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Happy New Year everyone and here's to a better 2021. Hi, this is Nader Manuha and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Howard Hawking there and it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for the first show of the new year. Just do it on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, you can email us as well through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. Aaron H on Twitter has been in touch to ask, should we be worried that Real Madrid feel they can steal Phil Foden even if he's publicly said that he doesn't want to go anywhere? Nico, what do you reckon? Ah, that's that's an interesting one. I don't think he would ever go to a place like Real Madrid, quite honestly, but... I, I don't know. You know, you don't you never want to play around with that. So why not just re up his deal and give him more money or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wonder, uh, Kieran, if it's actually more about his playing time. Yeah, I think he he feels a little bit left out at the minute, doesn't he? Um we make a big deal of him because he's one of our own. He's a stop fourteen, um, and he's a, a big blue and always grew up, you know, as a Bert and we we think that he should play 90 minutes, first name in the team sheet. He can do no wrong in our eyes kind of thing. And Guardiola doesn't seem to be seeing it that way. And you imagine that Foden is going to get a little bit uppity about it. And you would get pissed off if you've got the kind of talent 
that he has. And then when you do get a kind of look in and you've scored and give a brilliant assist, you know, in one of our most high scoring games of recent times, you will look and go, like, why is Pep not playing him? And sometimes he's messing around a little bit too, like um, brought him on in the last three minutes or told him to warm up and, you know, get ready to go and then sat him down again. And there will be times where, where that's going to, you know, cause strain in a relationship a little bit. Um, but there was an interview... There's an interview with Guardiola about, uh, wasn't an interview, there was an article, sorry, about um, Foden's time at City. And um, Pep had said that he thinks he needs to slow down a little bit. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I think Guardiola at the minute is like, on. I think Guardiola's got a bit of a master plan at the minute. And it is to just slow everything down. Like, absolutely. I think this drudgery is sort of purposeful a bit, you know. Um, and you know what they say, God, uh, men make plans and God laughs, as it were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think like Foden is a bit, is playing too fast and the dynamic and like the dictation of the pace a little bit from Foden because he just wants to impress and wants to do everything. I think it's decision making perhaps in Guardiola's eyes. Um, and, you, you know, the pace and the speed of him is not what Pep sees or wants. I think he wants things to be mid-tempo i think he wants us to um control he wants a lot of control exactly the word i'm looking for david i don't know why i was struggling so much there yeah <laughs> and as much as we see Foden as a you know as a david silva heir and somebody who could control games and could pull the strings and dictate pep seems to see him as somebody who's not in the same tempo and the same tune as the rest of the players at the moment. So he said he needed to slow down a little bit, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, so I, I think there is just a little bit of a dichotomy emerging in that, you know, we all sort of want to see Foden play as many minutes as possible. Uh, he will want to play as many minutes as possible. And Guardiola, when he sees him on the pitch, doesn't see him as doing, you know, the kind of plan that he wants to orchestrate a little bit. So it seems to be, you know, pulling in two different directions. I suppose Foden, you know, should take it as a compliment that a team such as Real Madrid is interested in him. You know, he's come a long way from Stockport to um, to be linked with um, with Madrid and the Bernabeu, hasn't he, really? Hey, listen, there's still a chance that I might be linked with Real Madrid. I'm only 33. It's not it's not finished yet, you know. It's not over yet. Um, yeah, there must be in a market for a goalkeeper soon, all right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's the, 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 my trouble is that there's probably a line of about 100 million people ahead of me. Um <laughs> Uh, Nico, the, the the thing is though that like Kieran touched on something there that I think he's actually quite right that Guardiola probably shouldn't be bringing Phil Foden on against Newcastle for three minutes, should he? That's it, it feels like that is a substitution that either needs to happen twenty minutes earlier, get him some game time, or if he's actually killing the game and uh, and wasting a bit of time, then it probably shouldn't be Phil Foden coming on. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. It's it's an aspect of football that like. Because we are not managers, it's not something that we really understand that well. Um, because I have to imagine there's like a greater logic than just like, I'm going to throw him on for three minutes and like see what happens. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think... What, what could it possibly be? I mean, like, uh, what are you going to learn know, in three it's, minutes? It's, it's tough, but yeah, I, I really can't justify it. So yeah, maybe you're right. You know, maybe it is stupid, but I, I, I think it's, you know, what... Kieran brings up there is an is an interesting dynamic with it because it's something that we have seen not just in the case of Guardiola but many managers where they had a specific plan for a specific player and it's it does encompass like I think as a manager you have to think of things in a long-term scale you have to think of things not only in a season-long scale but like several seasons long like for example I was watching a football documentary or something the other day and like they said Louis van Gaal when he went to Manchester United wasn't going to do anything shorter than three years because that was the plan that he had set forth incorporating the 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 youth academy and all that stuff and so that's how a lot of these managers think so I think Pep as as maybe well-intentioned as he might be to develop Phil Foden in the way that he thinks is best, 
those guys, those players have ambitions of their own. They have a career that is entirely separate from the plans of a specific manager. And it might work out well at the beginning. You know, they might look at one another at the beginning and Guardiola recognizes his immense talent and, uh, you know, Phil likes the, likes the role that he's getting at the beginning. But it, eventually you want, you want more. You, you have a greater hunger to play more sponsorships and the money that you make and the impact that you have on an ultimately, you know, dwindling career at, at any age. Um, takes you know comes into account and there are there are obviously people that have financial and monetary interest in your movement across the footballing world um so it's all of these things come into play i think when when you talk about a player of phil foden's caliber and it's you hope it's something that works out for for him at a singular club especially given that he was basically raised at city but it's what makes football so interesting is that that complex you know cauldron of 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 influences yeah, I, I also wonder if uh, Guardiola's plan, the reason he didn't get more time against Newcastle is if Guardiola's plan was to, to start him against Everton and then, look, here we are. God laughed at his plans, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, here ends the final Blue Moon podcast of 2020. Thank you all for listening this year. Please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. It really does help us out. Thanks also to my guests for today's show, Kieran Murray. Thank you. And Nico Morales. Thanks for having me. Uh, If you'd like a little bit more, then this week we're discussing the players that have worn both City and Chelsea colours in the Premier League era over on Patreon. That's available for those who back the show by $2 a month, and you'll get an extra four or five shows for your money as well. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and all of the money raised goes towards making the show as well. Uh, Given the news this week, we want to wish everybody well for the coming year. Keep yourself safe, wear a mask, wash your hands more often, and keep your distance where you can. Have a happy new year, everyone, and we'll see you all again in 20. 21. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.